share the opinions of what you saw in that last video. The idea that, well, just don't take spirituality or God too seriously. Because it makes you a nerd. We all know religious people who are nerds. They may not wear pointy ears, but they might as well. And yet we're all nerds in one sense. There's, there's things that we care about. Some of us are nerds about fly fishing. Some of us are nerds about uh, tax law, right? We're keeping up on all the details related to tax law to be good at our job. For some of us, it's leadership books. For some of us, it's sci-fi. For some of us, it's sports. Something we're passionate about. And I think for many people, they get concerned about the things you just described because the idea is if you take, if you take religion too seriously, things get sort of screwed up. So we're looking at the hurdles today of that idea, the idea of does religion make you inherently more judgmental? Does religion make you inherently more odd or strange or wacky or weird looking? Because nobody wants to be judgmental and nobody wants to be weird and wacky. You know, in their music video, Dear God, XTC, which is a British group, did a video that asked a lot of these questions about whether or not religion is a good thing or a bad thing and whether or not we made it up and whether or not anyone should believe it. Let's watch. That was back when MTV actually had uh, videos on, wasn't it, back in the day? You know, I've actually always enjoyed that song. As um, strong as the message is, I just feel like it brings up a lot of great questions. Uh, Questions we've been addressing in our series, Hurdles. Uh, The question of evil, he brings up there. Why doesn't God allow evil things to happen? We're going to address that next week. Um, But what we're doing in this series is we're trying to not eliminate your hurdles. You know, we're not going to eliminate them, but we are trying to lower them. And in trying to lower your hurdles, uh, what we're hoping is that each week we're going to take some of the major objections to the Bible and help get them low enough that you can clear it, that you can keep moving forward in your journey. And today we're going to address some of the questions that ecstasy and others have brought up. And I want you to think about this. There's sort of two objections I hear from, from folks who are unconvinced a lot. On one side, it's, well, God shouldn't judge. If God is loving, he shouldn't judge anybody. On the other side is, why doesn't God judge evil and do something about the problem of evil? Do you see the problem? He's not supposed to judge, but he ought to judge sooner. So how do you answer that? We're going to look at three hurdles today. Uh, This first one here is the idea of how could God be loving if people who don't believe in Jesus go to hell? We're going to look at the idea of is it even possible that judging could be loving? I mean, isn't judging always bad, right? How could God be good and loving if he judges people? And third, how can Christianity be true and how can it be loving if it makes all these exclusive truth claims? And why don't I help sort of reframe some of the things that you've heard about, caricatures you've heard about, misunderstandings you've heard about as it relates to judgment, as it relates to heaven, hell, eternity, and the Bible. And I want to help discover something. It'll take us a while to develop it. That at the end of your life, either God is your defense attorney or you are your own prosecutor. So we're going to look at the idea that judgment's inevitable, judgment's arbitrary, and that uh, judgment, God's judgment is impartial, and that's the one we're looking for. And my hope is that if we could lower these hurdles, we'll get some answers for you and for your friends. But here's what's going to be so practical, no matter who you are, no matter where you're at in your journey. What the Bible offers is a kind of judgment that's not judgmental. And that's what we all need in marriages, in our families, with coworkers. We need a kind of judgment, consess what's right and wrong but not a sense of moral superiority we look down on others. That's what we're going to look at. So first thing we want to discuss is this idea that that judgment's inevitable. The the objection, the hurdle is that you shouldn't judge. Judging is inherently bad. It's wrathful, it's malicious, it's terrible. But is that really true? In fact, if something is true, it should correspond to reality. Is it even possible to live in a world with no judgment? 
Is judgment always bad? I mean, think about it. I'll put it on the screen just some examples. Take that, the video we just watched by XTC. What were they doing? They were judging God, weren't they? So they were complaining about judging while the whole time they were judging, weren't they? So if judging's bad, they just committed the ultimate crime. How about our schools? We send our kids to schools. They learn how to be tolerant, how to care for one another. And yet the first thing we learn about our schools is they have a no-tolerance policy. In fact, if your kid chews on a Pop-Tart and it looks like a gun, they get them suspended, right? So how are you going to do that? I thought we learned how to be tolerant, but you have no tolerance policy. Let's go to the doctor, right? The laws of nature, for example. Laws of nature, they judge with this legalistic judgment. They don't care who you are, what you've done. They judge. Go to a sports referee. And if you ever turn to a referee or an umpire and said, just call it like you like it. Let's just all love each other. No, right? You want them to evaluate. You want them to judge. You want them to call the game correctly. You get mad when they don't. How about another one? How about doctors? Doctor shows up, points his finger at you. Is it loving when he finds out that your, your health habits are leading you to have a heart attack? Would it be unloving for him to say, well, just keep eating whatever you want? Or is the loving thing to say you've got a problem and you've got to fix it? How about the dentist? How many times the dentist judge your flossing, right? They're judging your flossing. They're judging your, your habits. They're telling you, hey, this is going to cost you a lot of money or root canal if you don't change this. I'm going to judge these habits that you have and they're not doing well. American Idol, we've learned judging. In fact, we find ourselves agreeing or disagreeing with the judges. We judge the judges while they're judging other people. Bosses and coworkers, we evaluate for performance evaluations, those who we work with. And if we work for somebody, we're always judging, well, I could do this better. I can't believe he handled it that way. I can't believe she did this that way. How about look in the mirror? Don't you judge yourself? Man, got hair growing out of places it shouldn't grow out of. I'm losing my hair here. I'm gaining weight. I don't look the way I want to look. Husbands and wives, we judge each other. That's wrong. That hurt me. You shouldn't have done that. Even, guys, even Santa Claus judges you, doesn't he? Even Santa Claus gives you, if you're naughty or nice, he puts coal in your stocking. You can't get away from this concept. If, 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 if Chris Kringle judges... And he's the ultimate symbol of love. How do we get this thing right? Because we can't eliminate judgment. We've got to find a different type of judgment. In fact, I was in Chick-fil-A. My daughter is 17 now. And we dress up occasionally. Uh, and so I'm supposed to be a pirate there. And she's one of the princesses from Disney. And so I got her a job at Chick-fil-A and a few other places. She does balloon animals with me. And, and we perform for about an hour. And while I was there, one of our uh, congregation members, who is here today, and I will not point them out, um, saw me and goes, what's, what's Chad doing dressed up like a pirate at, at Chick-fil-A? Are we not paying that guy enough? What is going on? And, and, I, and I saw her walk out and I called her and I said, hey, if your 17-year-old daughter is, being, is willing to see you, be seen with you in public, you go. If she's being willing to see with you in a pirate uniform, you definitely go, right? But I felt a judgment. And yet, in relationships, we find this. In fact, with my daughter the other day, I uh, was harsh to her. I was mean to her. And I saw some tears going down her cheeks. And I had to apologize. I judged what I had done and how I'd said it is wrong. And I apologized for it. So judging is not always bad. But it's inevitable. You can't get away from it. In fact, you see it in philosophy as well, in religion. Take uh, karma, for example. Hinduism. You see, all religions have to deal with the problem of evil and judgment. For karma, you missed a few people? There's always an answer to the problem of evil with karma. If something bad's happening to you, it's because the universe is punishing you. You might say, well, that doesn't seem right. Well, you did something in your past life. You can't get away from it. You say, well, but Buddhism, Buddhism doesn't judge. Well, doesn't it? 
I mean, Buddhism, do you know how Buddhism came to be? A little Homer Simpson there for you. I love this quote. Every time we go to church, we're making him matter and matter if we've chosen the wrong God. You know, Buddhism was created because Buddhism judged Hinduism and said they didn't like the caste system. And the caste system was consistent with karma and said if you're rich, it's because the universe is is blessing you. And if you're poor, the universe is cursing you. And don't interrupt the caste system. Don't interrupt karma. Buddha judged Hinduism to come up with his philosophy. How about uh, postmodernism, the idea that we shouldn't judge? What what is that doing? Postmodernism says you shouldn't judge. I'm judging you for your judging. You can't get away from it. In fact, there's a French philosopher by the name of Foucault, and he said all truth claims, anyone, religion, philosophy, anyone who claims that they know what's true, it's just a power grab. They're just trying to get power over you by saying I have the truth and you don't. To which I say, well, if all truth claims are power grabs, Foucault just made a truth claim, therefore he's making a power grab, right? Do you see the problem? You can't get away from this thing. In fact, in his book, Crucial Conversations, uh, I heard this, the guy who wrote the book speak recently. He talked about a friend who thought he was doing the loving thing by not judging. He had a, a fellow lawyer who was up, and he had three attempts to become partner in that law firm. firm. And first time up, he didn't make it, and they said, hey, you just really uh, don't have the numbers that you need quite yet, so he killed himself for the next year. I mean, sacrifices marriage, sacrifices family, all kinds of sacrifices because he wanted to be partner. Next year, turned down, oh, but he had one more shot. And again, one of the partners was a friend of his, and turned down again, yeah, but he got one more shot. One more shot, killed himself again. Sacrificed all kinds of things that were important to him over the next year. Third year, meets with the partners, gets turned down a third time. Crushed. After a few weeks and months, he pulls his friend aside and said, let me ask you this. Did you know three years ago that I wasn't, didn't have what it took to be a partner? He said, yeah. Why didn't you tell me I didn't want to hurt you? Hurt me? I've killed myself the last two years. I wish you had told me the truth and judged the truth then so that I could have made adaptations to it. What he was really saying is, I want to be judged, but just do it in a gracious way, a kind way. See, the reality is judgment pops up all over the place. You can't get away from it. So, the idea that judging is bad is, wrong, is just incompatible with life, isn't it? So what we're going to do is we're going to head over to the, uh, to the detonation station because I always love to do a little experiment to accent that. So a little detonation station music. These are 50-ish film canisters with an Alka-Seltzer and some water in it. And this represents all the areas of life. So again, we got this idea that you shouldn't judge anywhere, and yet everywhere we look, it's our family, it's our workplace, it's our job, it's our school, they're all over the place. So the idea that it's even possible to live in a world that you don't judge can't ever, ever, ever be lived lived out. It's an upside-down concept. And so what I want to show you today is that the Bible offers a way that you can actually have grace and kindness in the midst of evaluating things accurately. We're going to try and turn everything upside down and show what happens in a world where judgment pops up everywhere, how you can have grace. Let's watch.
Didn't make that one. I think for many of us, we think that any kind of judgment is like somebody who's angry and mad. You dropped it in, it's wrathful and it's wrong. But what the Bible offers is in a world of judgment popping up everywhere, a kind of umbrella of grace. And this grace is saying, yeah, there are things that are wrong, but you know what? I'm capable of it too. You know, there are things that are wrong, but I'm not better than you because given the right pressures and the right time, I might be capable of it too. And so what the Bible offers, we're going to look at it in just a second, is how to judge with grace. How, how to judge without being judgmental. You see, in the book of Romans, it says there's a problem. The problem is, in a world of judgment that's inevitable, our judgment as human beings is arbitrary. It says, therefore, each one of us is inexcusable. Oh, man. Why? Whoever you are who judge, in whatever matter you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. You might say, I don't. That's not true of me. Let's read it again. Whatever you judge, you condemn yourself because you practice the very things that you're condemning. I'll give you an example. I gossip about gossips. Can you believe they gossiped? (laughs) I'm impatient with impatient people. Can you believe that guy behind me who's trying to come around me? I'm intolerant toward the intolerant. You know, I believe that we should be tolerant of everybody. I can't believe you. You shouldn't believe that. We judge the judges. We hate the haters. We're intolerant toward the intolerant. We gossip about the gossip. We're impatient by the impatient. There's something wrong in us, isn't there? We can't even live consistent with our own lives because our judgment is so arbitrary. This affects us personally. You know, Dove had this commercial came out about a year ago. It described how we see ourselves inaccurately. It was a powerful story, very, very tear-jerking commercial about how these women were invited to come to a studio and they had a painter paint a, a picture of them as they described themselves. And the picture revealed that they saw themselves as unhappy, as not beautiful. But then they met somebody when they came in, a stranger. And that stranger then told the painter to paint a a picture of her. And the picture that the friend painted was beautiful, happy, smiling. And at the end, as the women came up to these two photos, they, they looked at them and said, wow. My judgment, I, I'm too hard on myself. Other people see me in a way that, that is more beautiful than I really am. Our judgment is arbitrary. In fact, Dove Commercial just did a recent one to show the same thing if they had done it with men. Let's watch. My name is Jeff Smith. I've been a forensic artist for the LAPD for over 25 years. Um, we showed up to a place we had never been, and there was a guy there with the drafting board. Uh, we couldn't see them. They couldn't see us. Tell me about your eyes. Tell me about your eyes. A lot of people say they're, they're an abyss because they just don't end. And what about your teeth? My mom said I had the most beautiful teeth. I would say the older I've gotten, the more stunning I've gotten. I would say I have a balanced face. Almost like a white Denzel Washington. Once I get a sketch, I say thank you very much, and they leave. I don't see them. All I had been told before the sketch was to get friendly with this woman. I don't know, I guess his face was like kind of dirty looking. Overall, I'd say he really looked like a lawn gnome. He looked like he smelled really bad. And- 
you know, like something out of, like fresh out of Mordor. Wow. This is a sketch you helped me create. And this is a sketch that someone else described to you. Yeah, he looks like a, like a movie star. And, and uh, I don't know, it looks like he'll probably die soon. <laughs> Two opinions could be so vastly different. <laughs> that is not And I refuse to believe it. So do you think you're more beautiful than you said? <laughs> Alright, there we go. Isn't that good? So again, this is what Romans tells us. It tells us that in whatever way, sometimes we're harder on ourselves than we should be. Sometimes we're nicer than ourselves we should be. So let's look at this idea of if if judgment's inevitable and if we're so arbitrary in it, how do we get to this idea of judging without being judgmental? In order to do that, I'd like you to invite to the stage my friend, Mike Miller. Mike, come on up. Hey, Mike. Nice to be here today. Thank you for not having a sketch artist here. <laughs> now, have you, as a lawyer, have you found that um, folks' opinions are arbitrary? Yeah, everybody's opinions are arbitrary. Start, start with me. Um, four and a half years ago, my wife and I drive by the church, and my comment was simply, who builds a castle and calls it a church? Mm. You know? Well, fast forward a few months, we're looking for a new church home. Mary suggests we go to Horizon. I say, sure, we'll try it. You know, not real impressed from the outside. I walk in the door, inviting. It's warm. It's Mm. friendly. I didn't want to go anywhere else. We didn't go anywhere else. We've been here for four years. Mm. It's the right place for me. So my my arbitrary judgment was wrong. Mm. And a lot of people's arbitrary judgments are wrong. Um, Everybody has their own agenda. In the law, you know, the prosecutor has an agenda. The defense counsel has an agenda. Judges uh, have agendas. Litigants have agendas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I'm wronged, I think you're more wrong than I am. Sure. And, and what the law does, it takes uh, a subjective, um, or I'm sorry, uh, 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 yeah, subjective reality, and it puts subjectivity against that subjective reality. Mm-hmm. You know, the law tries to get to the truth. Right. It's not perfect, but because everybody does have their own agenda, does have their own arbitrary judgment of what reality is. We need a system of laws to sure. bring that objectivity to it. Sure, and when you're falsely accused, you know, the truth matters, right? I mean, the truth matters in society today, and in a, a postmodern world we live in today that says judgment's always bad, and with all the lawyer jokes that are out there, what <laughs> made you decide to go into a profession known for judging? Best lawyer joke. Uh, what is a bus full of lawyers going over a cliff? And the answer is a good start. Okay? Oh, several people need yeah, a punchline yeah. to that one. <laughs> but, but, you know, you, you do hear a lot of lawyer jokes, but do you know that the legal profession um, as a profession has more uh, a percentage of, the, of the, the lawyers do community service than any other profession in, in the world, quite honestly? Mm-hmm. What got me to be a lawyer, quite honestly, I was in college, I was dating a girl. She looked at me one day, she goes, you know, you talk too much, you ought to be a lawyer. <laughs> so, so that was the beginning. But, but as, as, as funny as that might be, that was the genesis of my desire to look at the legal profession. And what I found is I really had interacted, knew some people that were lawyers. They were mm-hmm. civic-minded people. Um, they were men of good character, women of good character. Uh, they were noble, and not noble 
like the old knights, but noble in a humble, you know, human sort of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, lawyers as a class, lawyers as a class are problem solvers. The law mm-hmm. is based on the fact that everybody has issues, and we need to we need to help them find the solutions to those issues. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, but when you go to law school, they teach you to think differently. And mm-hmm. the way they teach you to think is you go to the end of an issue. You go to the solution and mm-hmm. you work backward, huh. which is different than most people think about step one, step two, step sure. three. We look at what, what's the right solution based on the facts and circumstances, mm-hmm. and then we come back into it. So, you know, I'm glad I'm a lawyer. I'm glad mm-hmm. I'm a lawyer because lawyers, uh, as a profession, yeah. solve problems. They solve people's issues. They try to get to the truth. The truth is always the, the end result. But the truth, yeah. the truth can, be, can be skewed. In fact, um, I don't know, it was five years ago, there was a, a Mike Miller. Of course, Mike Miller is one of the most common names in the United States probably. But um, my wife got a call about the, this Mike Miller who was a school administrator, and I think it was Middletown, but who had an inappropriate relationship with a student. And the call basically was somebody saying, well, I can't believe Mike did that. Well, so, so they called your wife to think you yeah, did? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been inappropriate, but not like that. Right. And... and it's because, you know, that the truth was Mike Miller did something, but the real uh, truth was it wasn't this Mike Miller. So the law is important because um, it, it tries to get to the truth, and that's what I like about being yeah. associated with lawyers and the yeah, law. Yeah, we talked a little bit about how if, if God is a God of order, it would make sense that those who bring order to a society are reflecting his values. If God is a God of truth, the truth matters. Even when we have bad laws, we say we want to make them better. Compared to what? It's like we're comparing it to this other standard that's out there. Yeah, you know, the yeah. law is, is based, I mean, our system of laws in the United States is based on a Christian Christian Judeo ethic of, of right and wrong. Right. Um, it is not perfect, but if you notice, and in fact, in the last service, you mentioned the, uh, the, the gentleman who had been in, in prison for 31 years for rape, and it's interesting that the legal system put him there, but the mm-hmm. legal system got him out of there. Yeah. So while we are not perfect in our laws and not perfect in our administration of justice, mm-hmm. it's the legal system that um, solves the problems yeah. of the world in a way. But again, we're all human. Judges are human. Sure. And, and, you know, a good judge is someone who, who's even-tempered. A good judge is a good listener. Mm-hmm. A good judge can apply the facts and, and, and look at the overall circumstances and make determinations based on the reality of what occurs and apply the law that's applicable to those facts and circumstances. But again... So... Being, so, so I- a, a loving, a good judge would be an impar- as much as you can, an impartial judging, right. uh, but based on the facts right. that they're on agenda. Everybody, everybody as a human being has that agenda. The law, when it's in process, removes, ideally, removes that agenda mm. from being in play. Without, you know, without yeah. the yeah, what, law. What would society be like without judging, without the law? We'd, anarchy, mm. you know? I mean, it's tr- yeah. truth is important, and, you know, people... People sticking to their words, mm-hmm. uh, that's important. And f- you know what kind of upset me when I came up here was yeah. you promised me if I sat here today with you and talked about this stuff that Jennifer Aniston would be on the program. And that does not look like Jennifer Aniston. Well, I, okay? Well, uh, you know. But here, here, here's the truth. Here's the truth. The truth, uh, the truth is... Uh, she the was, loving truth. The loving truth. She was going to be on the show, but I told her we were going to play Twister and that you were the partner, and she canceled last minute. So what yeah. are you going to do? So, can, we, uh, can we thank Mike for being here today? Mike, thanks. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, yeah. All right. Good job.
So if judgment is inevitable and if our judgments are arbitrary, then I think there's something, even our legal profession today, we're looking for an impartial judge. And God offers that, this impartiality. In fact, the gospel, which is the main message of the Bible, it it actually comes against two extremes. It comes against being overly religious and thinking your good works are good enough. And it also comes against the idea that truth doesn't matter. Because you say, hey, there's right and wrong, and by the way, I'm capable of it too. So I want to go back to that Romans passage and show you a few things. I was walking with a buddy about 10 years ago, and he said, Chad, I can't believe in the Bible because believing the Bible means that I think God sends certain people to heaven and certain people to hell. I've got lots of people who aren't Christians, and I just can't believe something that God would be unfair. I said, well, I've got great news for you. If Christianity is at all true, and I think it is, the God of the Bible is the very definition of fairness. So the one thing you can count on is that God will treat everyone fairly. He said, really? I said, yeah. God always has to act accordance with his own character, so everyone will get a fair trial. Oh. Now that just lowered his hurdle enough to keep his spiritual journey moving forward. I said, secondly, at the end of your life, you either get fairness or forgiveness. There's no unfair option. He's like, oh. I said, and the way God evaluates you, you can't get more fair. I'm going to show you this verse in just a second. God says, instead of him using his standard of right and wrong, he'll use your standard of right and wrong. What could be more fair than that? I'll give you an example. In Romans chapter 2, it gives us three parts about God's impartial judgment at the end of life. Number one, first thing it tells us, God's impartiality is this. You are your own prosecutor. Now think about that. You will prosecute yourself. So if you, if you say, hey, I'm basically a good person and I want to prove to God I'm basically a good person, you will prosecute yourself and prove whether or not you're a good person. Here's what it says. At the end of life, you stand before God and whatever error you judged, you will judge, you'll condemn yourself, you'll prosecute yourself. Hey, you said gossiping was wrong. Did you ever gossip? Yes. Oh. You, you didn't want somebody lusting after your wife or daughter. Did you ever lust after somebody else's wife and daughter? Oh. You didn't like it when people coveted or stole your stuff. Did you ever covet or steal somebody else's stuff? Oh. You are your own prosecutor. God doesn't say, hey, here's my standard in my book that you didn't ever hear about. He says, what, what did you consider? You are the standard. You determine what's right and wrong. And then I ask you, did you live up to your standards? You see, I don't want a fair trial. Because I don't live up to my own standards. And when God is fair, and if God is fair with me, I'm in trouble. Not because of anything he did or something I didn't know, because I prosecute myself as guilty, and no one comes away from a a judgment seat with God and says he was so unfair. They say, why? Why did I think I was a good person? You see, the judge in a jury trial's job is to make sure the law is passed. All God does is make sure the truth comes out. In ways that we've deceived ourselves or thought we were worse than we really were or better than we really were, God's job is to bring the truth out in that circumstance. And, and here's what's even better. When God evaluates you, ignorance of the law does actually work in God's economy. He says, you are only evaluated based on what you know. So if you didn't hear about Jesus, you won't be asked about Jesus. You will only be evaluated based on what you know. What could be more fair than that? You pick the standard And you only are accountable to what you know. Here's how he says it. For there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without the law, if you didn't hear about the law, if you didn't have a Bible, if you didn't grow up with that, will also perish without the law. 
And as many as have sinned in the law, but you did hear about this stuff, you did find out that impatience and pride are actually worse off than even some of the big list things that we have, you'll be evaluated according to the law or judged by the law. And what he's saying here is that you and I are only accountable to what we know, we bring the standard, and thirdly, we bring the evidence. Well, what evidence are you going to bring? Look what he says in the passage. When Gentiles, those who don't have the law, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are law to themselves. Meaning, when I know that I should keep the golden rule, I want other people to keep the golden rule, even though I've never heard it written down anywhere, that's the standard by which I say, well, other people should keep the golden rule. To which God says, all right, well, did you keep the golden rule? Did you? I mean, have you? I have never been able to keep the golden rule for five minutes of my life. I, 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 I would challenge you for just one day, try it. Try and rejoice with other people the way you rejoice in yourself. Give other people the benefit of the doubt the way you give it to yourself. I can't make it five minutes. Even though I would acknowledge that's what I'm supposed to do. Even though I get mad when other people don't do it. I fall short of my own standards. And if I get a fair trial, I will prosecute myself as guilty. How will you do? You see, we bring the evidence. Where's the evidence come from? Well... (laughs) who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Your heart will be the evidence. Your conscience will be the evidence, bearing witness against you. And between themselves, their thoughts, your thoughts accuse or excuse you in the day when God will judge the secrets. So there they are, the secrets, the thoughts, the conscience, and the heart. All the stuff is you. It's me. When my heart says, boy, I didn't want somebody to lust, then my heart says, Chad, here's the evidence. You lusted. How many times? Once? A day? An hour? And then my secrets will come out. All the things that people don't know about. All my secrets come out into the light. My thoughts, my conscience. So if you brought the evidence to your own trial, and it was impartial, and you were the prosecutor, but the truth had to come out, how would you do in the trial? A few years ago, we had some uh, dialogues up on stage with some religious leaders called Hot Seat. So I had a, a Buddhist up here one time. I had a, a Muslim up here one time. I had a, a, a Jewish rabbi up here one time. And so we're debating back and forth. And they're like, heaven and hell, that's unfair. I said, God's always going to be fair. At the end of your life, you either get fairness or forgiveness. He said, then why are you trying to, to convert me to Christianity? I said, because I don't think you're going to do very well at that trial. How can you say that? How can you say I'm a rabbi for crying out loud? I said, okay, you're a rabbi. So here's the question. Is being a rabbi make up for whatever you've done? Your secrets? Your thoughts? I mean, if you're lusting after a human being made in God's image, how many times do you need to read the Bible to make up for that? Whatever you answer to diminishes the value of a human being. He said, well, I can't believe that you think I'm wrong. I said, listen, I just know at the end of your life, you either get a fair trial, which is what you want, and you get to prove that you think you're a good person, Or you can say, no, I don't want that. I want somebody else to defend me. And that's what I want. See, at the end of your life, does God send people to hell who don't believe in Jesus? God gives a fair trial to everyone. Fair trial. Now, God also warns us, you're not going to do well in that fair trial. 
In fact, God pleads with us, please don't represent yourself in this trial. Even today, we watch Matlock, we, 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 we have legal issues, and they say, don't represent yourself, don't they? That's even like common knowledge, and God says the same thing. Please don't represent yourself. Please don't come to that trial and try and convince the world that you're basically a good person because you're not. Instead, let me be your defense attorney. See, at the end of your life, it's either fairness or forgiveness, either God, your defense attorney, or you become your own prosecutor. Is it okay to judge? Of course it's okay to judge if it's the truth. And the Bible allows you to say, because I'm capable of anything and everything, because I got stuff in my secrets and my heart and my conscience, and oh, God had to forgive me of all of this. Thank goodness I don't have a fair trial. It humbles you in such a deep and powerful way that when you're in interactions with folks, you can judge without being judgmental because you need forgiveness. So here's the question. If the hurdle is lowered enough that you're going to get a fair trial, and everyone you've ever met gets a fair trial, how will you do on a fair trial when you're the chief prosecutor? Who's your defense attorney? Will you represent yourself and try and prove you're basically a good person? I wouldn't even attempt that. And I bet you my resume is better than yours. I've been a pastor for 20 years, for crying out loud. I grew up in a family, and my father never swore, so I just don't swear. Wow, does making Chad doesn't swear, does that make him suddenly, it's okay that he, he, he you know, made his daughter cry because he doesn't swear? Do you see how silly this whole idea is? There's something broken in me, the seeds of hatred, the seeds of bigotry, the seeds of impatience, the seeds of a critical spirit. They're all in me. And I so don't want to be my own prosecutor. And the message of the Bible is that God can't wait to defend you. And you just got to ask, God, please defend me. I need a defense attorney at the end of time. Defend me from myself. Or think of it one last way. The idea of heaven and hell. Would you get mad if I took trash and threw it into the incinerator? No. You'd say, that's what you do with trash, incinerate it. If God pulled up a garbage truck and took all the trash of the world and threw it in the garbage truck, you would say, well, that's what a garbage man should do. That's what you do with trash. You judge it as trash. It's dangerous. It's toxic. You throw it away and you get rid of it. That's God's judgment. In fact, the very idea of why doesn't God punish evil is answered in hell. Hell created a place to destroy evil, betrayal, and pain, and and self-centeredness, and all this stuff that we keep saying, why doesn't he take care of that? So he created a place to take care of it. But here's the problem. We think evil's out there. God, go take care of that problem. But if if the Bible's right, evil's in here. You see, I'm attached to my trash. Selfishness isn't something other people do. Selfishness is something I do. Impatience isn't something that somebody does. It's in me. So God had this dilemma in his character. In his judgment, he needed to judge the trash, incinerate it, destroy it. In his love, he wanted to not incinerate us even though we were attached to our trash. So God made a way to separate us from our trash so that he could incinerate the trash that we even say is wrong and he could rescue us. And this is the message called grace. Grace. And when God's grace, when this clicks, the last thing you'd ever say is I'm basically a good person. He would say, thank goodness goodness, I'm a forgiven person. 
Thank goodness I have a God who defends me against my own inadequacies. And that brings a level of humility to your life, a, a, a level of judgment without judgmentalism to your life. It's grace.